Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Come on, will you lift your hands to the Lord one more time? Would you thank Him for His presence in this place? Lord Jesus, we love you today. God, we thank you for your mercy. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning. ask you to ju- join me in the book of Judges, chapter 16. Quite a lengthy reading, so. Judges 16 and 16, the Bible says, And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. that he told her all his heart, said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. And if I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall be weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, and she sent and called for the Lord's of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. She said, um, excuse me, in verse 19, and she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to afflict him and his strength went from him and she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. And so for just a few moments this morning, I want to talk to you from this subject, the dangers of spiritual sleep. This is not a popular subject, and I know you don't envy my position here. I don't envy my position here, but I feel that God has just moved me in a certain direction, and I want to just take a few moments and talk about that. Would you just remain seated, but would you lift your hands one more time, and let's Let's pray to God and ask him to touch us. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this word, Lord, that we've opened before us today. God, we thank you for the example that it sets, God, the mandate and the warning that is laid about in this book, God, for us to see. Help us, Lord, not to just sit, God, with unattentive ears and hearts, but help us, God, to open our minds and our spirit to you, Lord, God, that you would speak a word to us this morning, God, that would resonate from this time forward, that it would not quickly die in our heart, God, but it would live forever and ever. Anoint my mouth and my mind to speak and anoint our ears and our eyes to hear and see. And we'll be careful to praise you for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I believe that in this hour today, more than I ever have, and I typically start, I understand the same way just about every time that I preach, but I really do feel this way wholeheartedly that we are in a spiritual battle every day of our lives, whether whether we realize it or not, whether we believe it or not, it's simply the truth, and we fight, we fight daily for our salvation, we fight daily for our way of life. It is 
becoming increasingly hot. The battle is becoming increasingly hot. There's a sinister motive behind just about everything that the world has to do with. It's a sinister motive. Everything that we come in contact with in this world, whether we realize that it's happening or not, there is a sinister behind-the-scenes motive that is trying to get you to fall by the wayside. Many of them, and many of us even, don't realize it. Maybe we do realize it. Maybe we don't believe it, or maybe we do believe it. Or maybe we just simply choose to ignore it. But the fact of the matter is this. We are in a battle. Entertainment has become increasingly vile, and you can scarcely turn on any any mode of, of media where there's not some sort of lewdness, some sort of lasciviousness, even if your motives are pure. The very, the very entertainment that, that backs those things is vile and lewd and lascivious, and that, that behavior is absolutely glorified in our land today without any, without any apologetic notion whatsoever. Our children are at risk. Our families are at risk. Ourselves are at risk. And hear me today, entire churches and entire organizations are at risk if they do not wake up to the fact of the battle that we are in today. Paul said boldly, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I'm here to tell you today that that is absolutely the mode and mandate of the world is to just appease this flesh. Just make yourself feel good and everything else will come out in the wash. But I'm telling you today that that is not the case. And where we are is at the very pinnacle of this dispensation and the time is at hand. That day will come upon us quickly as a thief in the night. And for some, that day will be great relief and it will be great triumph and great, great absolute triumph and, and absolute uh, happiness in their lives. But for some, yet for others, that day will come just as that thief and it will rob them of everything that they have ever known. That day will not be a great day of triumph, but it will be a great day of, of, of woes because they are left in a state of unawareness. They are left in a state of unmoved and no time to react. They are asleep at the most important time. Sleep naturally is defined as a reoccurring state of mind and body. It's characterized by altered consciousness, relatively inhibited sensory activity, inhibition of nearly all voluntary muscles, and reduced interactions with surroundings. It is distinguished from wakefulness by a decreased ability to react to stimuli. Sleep occurs in repeating periods for us in which the body alternates between two highly distinct modes of sleep known as non-REM and REM sleep. REM stands for rapid eye movement but involves many other aspects including virtual paralysis of the body. And so in many cases, in most cases actually, we can take spiritual things and we can parallel them to an extent with natural occurrences. For instance, just as the body needs food to survive, you need food and sustenance to live, the spirit man needs the proper nutrition to live as well. But hear me, sleep in the natural is not always necessarily that in the spiritual. Scripture often speaks of sleep, not as a good thing, but often as of death 
and it's a negative symbol of laziness. In fact, the Bible is replete with instances in Scripture that tells us that we are not to sleep, but to stay awake, to be sober, and to be ready. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 5, Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Ephesians 5 and 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. 1 Peter 4 and 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Again, in verse 5 and 8 of the same book, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And then again, Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians, Awake unto righteousness and sin not. And so there is an absolute apparent reason for all of this. And I believe here today, this is not the only example, but it is a very good one in Judges 16. The Bible says where we started, and she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And he said, she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but Samson had reached the pinnacle, the deepness, the deepest form of sleep. But for us to understand the place that Samson was in at this point, We need to see the picture from a whole and see it in absolute context. In the context of the book of Judges where we find Samson, the last line of the last verse of the chapter of the book sums up the context in great detail into absolute perfection. Judges 21 and 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see, the book of Judges begins where the book of Joshua ends, and it is in direct contrast to the book of Joshua, which outlines faithfulness. But Judges details Israel's unfaithfulness to the covenant, and it outlines their lack of extended periods of absolute obedience to God. In fact, it would seem that as if God is enduring their afflictions. It would seem that he's enduring their acts of unrighteous disobedience and repeated violations of the covenant. He's just holding on as they do these things over and over again. Through this book, we see God's long-suffering and his faithfulness and his faithfulness to restoration even through their downfalls and even through their spiritual shortcomings. Now, I'm thankful for the mercy of God. I don't stand here today as someone that is trying to discount that at all. I'm thankful for the long-suffering mercy of God. But hear me today. This book begins with success. And we see subsequent success and failure. Subsequent success and failure over and over and over again throughout this ebb and this flow, this up and this down of sin and failure to repentance and deliverance and restoration. The end of it reveals the lack of effect that even that long suffering had upon them. And their faithfulness was not long term toward God and their devotion to him was certainly not as well. It would seem as though this mentality that they had as a nation somehow made its way into the mentality of one man. His name was Samson. Because the life of Samson, you can read, almost follows this same ebb and flow, this up 
and down motion that mirrors that same progression, a lifestyle that he had become acquainted with because of surroundings that he had become accustomed to. Flirting with sin, walking in an opposing direction to the will of God and to the mandate that was upon him, yet God would still anoint him. He would still deliver him and he would still rescue him. However, hear me today, that kind of relationship will always end badly. Samson walked further and further and deeper and deeper into calamity, seemingly with every step he took. And where we find him, hear me, did not happen overnight because nothing happens overnight. He did not suddenly find himself in the lap of the enemy. It was a step-by-step motion, downward, 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 brought about by nothing other than complacent behavior. You see, complacency begins the downward process and it it ends in a spiritual sleep and a spiritual slumber that is a a gradual decline. And so we define sleep. Now let's look at the stages of natural sleep. I, I found this so interesting that there are five stages of sleep, levels that progress deeper and deeper We usually pass through these five stages. They're simply numbered one through four, and then we have what we've already mentioned, REM, which is rapid eye movement. These stages progress in a cycle from one to REM, and then the cycle starts over again with stage one. It says that we spend about half of our time in stage two sleep, about 20% of our time in REM, and then the remaining 30 in other stages. I found this kind of comical They said infants, by contrast, spend about half of their sleep in REM sleep, but I don't know what infants they studied because I don't think infants sleep. I didn't realize that they did. (laughs) If they found those infants that sleep, I want to meet them. Mine didn't. She still doesn't sometimes. (laughs) During stage one, which is light sleep, light sleep, we drift in and out. We can be wakened very easily. Our eyes move very slowly and muscle activity just slows. But people from this that are awakened from this stage, they remember fragmented visual images and sometimes also experience sudden muscle contractions called hypnic myoclopia, often preceded by a sensation of starting to fall. That's stage one. These sudden movements are similar to the jump we make when we're startled. When we enter stage two, it changes. Our eye movements stop and our brain waves become slower with occasional bursts of rapid waves called sleep spindles. Then into stage three, extremely slow brain waves occur and they begin to appear with some faster waves in between. By stage four, the brain produces delta waves, which is the slowest brain waves exclusively. It's very difficult to wake someone from stages three and stages four, which is together called deep sleep. There's no eye movement. There is no muscle activity. People awakened during deep sleep do not adjust immediately to their surroundings, and they often feel groggy and disoriented for several minutes after they wake up. But there's even one more deeper than that called REM This is where our breathing becomes more rapid and irregular and shallow. It seems as though it's fast, but in reality it's not. Our eyes jerk rapidly in various directions and our limbs become temporarily paralyzed. Our heart rate increases, our blood pressure rises, but when people awake from REM sleep, they often often talk about bizarre or illogical tales such as dreams and things of that nature. So I didn't go through all of this just to bore you to death today, but I want to paint a picture, really, spiritually, because the progression of spiritual sleep is no different. There are stages that we go through, and we see that in Samson as he gradually goes down more and more and more. With every decision, he begins a process 
Judges 16, 1 through 3, then Samson went Samson to Gaza. This is the decision that seemingly starts everything out. Then went Samson to Gaza, and he saw there in Harlan, and he went in unto her, and it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they encompassed him and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all that night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight. He lay till midnight. Stage one. And he arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. You think that, stage one. I better not do that again. But in verse 4, it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And so this progression that we see, this decision that he made that begins this process, seemingly all begins with what I believe is complacency. You see, in the natural world, complacency usually follows success and when success comes we feel as though we can just hang out for a little bit and not worry about anything for a while because we've had a great success but that's far from where we need to be you see it's from this point forward that he enters into an even more dangerous descent deeper into calamity we see in Judges 16, 6 through 9, the seven green withs that he told her he could be bound with, the ropes in 10 through 12, and then the weave of his hair into a weave in uh, verses 13 through 15. A slow, slow, step-by-step step progression that went further down and further down and further down. I submit to you today that first encounter was step one. The seven green withs, step two, the new ropes, three. And then him telling her to weave his hair into the weave, step four. And here we are, step five, the razor. Just like realm sleep, just like that deep, relaxing state that we find ourselves in when we find ourselves all the way down. I don't know about you, but I don't normally find myself there naturally. <laughs> I wish I could. Amy would beg to differ on that. But he finds himself all the way down in that last stage where he was able to lay there and allow his covenant to be broken without him even understanding it. He became complacent. He got comfortable enough with sin that it no longer affected him. He failed to realize that there was a clear and present danger that was after him every day of his life. He failed to realize that there was a real enemy, and that enemy was the very thing that he put his whole heart in because she was the only one that is ever recorded that he loved. It was his heart that he put in it. But hear me today. As much as we would like to blame Delilah for everything that occurred, we simply can't do that. We can't hold all the blame and all the, the, the calamity upon her because the enemy, even in our lives, cannot be solely blamed for everything that occurs. That's why David said, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You see, David was in stark contrast to a man like Samson. He realized the things that were against him, but nestled securely in his life was his prayer, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Sure, the enemy is out to get me. I know this and I understand it, but it's up to me what, what ground he gains in my life. It all comes to me because it's my eyes that will see and it's my eyes that will make me understand what is coming against me. David said, I trusted in thy mercy and I trusted in you and in your salvation, God, and not myself. And it would seem as though Samson is in the opposite corner. Sure, David would make mistakes. He, 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 would, he would fall. He would come to 
very, very bad parts of his life, but there is one thing that he always did. He always trusted in the mercy of God. Samson seemed as if he took it for granted. As if it would just be there whenever he needed it. And so can I tell you today, just as that goes, even in this world today, where we are today, I'm talking to me for a minute, if that's okay, but I don't have any business hanging out with the enemy. I don't have any business going around things that I don't have any business going around just because I serve a merciful God. I have no business placing my trust in anything other than God and his spirit alone. I certainly can't rely on myself and in my own flesh because there is nothing good in it. If I do anything right now and here in the spirit or in the kingdom of God, it will be the spirit of God that will make me do that. If I triumph over my enemies, it will be nothing less than the spirit of God and the spirit of God alone that will make me triumph. The devil is not my friend. And sin is not my friend. In fact, sin is friendly, but only for a season. And eventually, sin comes seeking payment. Just like Samson slowly fell into that temptation when he began looking elsewhere for the things that would fulfill his life. Not only did he fail to realize the enemy's pursuit, he forsook the important call that he had upon his life, and he was drawn into that temptation by his own lust. Samson did what was right in his own eyes, and he did what his flesh dictated him to do. But hear me again, the enemy cannot solely be blamed, and God certainly has no blame in any of this. You see, the majority fell upon him, just like the majority falls upon us. James said in verse 1, 13 through 16, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And here is the admonishment. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err. Seems like a hard thing to do, but in reality, it's not, and I'll get there in a minute. Samson is the pure example of a person that was called of God, but he allowed his flesh to make the call. He involved himself in things that he had no business involving himself with, and he tied himself to people and to things he had no business being tied to. You see, Samson was no ordinary man. (laughs) Samson was a Nazarite. He was not normal, which is apparent that he understood that at least from his conversations with Delilah. We find that vow, that Nazarite vow in number 6, 1 through 21. I won't read it for sake of time, but I will tell you this. The word Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word Nazir, and it means consecrated or devoted one. The Nazarite was to abstain from wine, wine vinegar, grapes, raisins, intoxicating liquors, vinegar made from such substances, and eating or drinking any substances that contain any trace amounts of those substances. They were to refrain from cutting the hair of one's head, allowing the hair to grow, and not to become impure from contact with corpses or graves, not even those of their own family members. And so this was a very serious thing that Samson was involved with. This was not just some fly-by-night thing, but this man was born in to promise. This man was born in to promise. Can I tell you today that we are apostolic? And when we are born again of water and of spirit, we are reborn again into promise and into absolute 
purpose. We are apostolic and we are out of darkness and have been called into his marvelous light. We are apostolic and this is a very serious thing that we have been called out of into. We are a royal priesthood. We are that chosen generation and we are to be separated and consecrated and devoted for a cause. We are the light of the world. We are the city that is set upon a hill. There is some things that we do not need to be involved with. There are some people that we don't need to tie ourselves with. What have any kind of relationship with, with light from darkness? None. None. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues, when you were, when you were baptized in the name of the, of Jesus Christ, the name which is above every name, you now hold something on you that is more important than anything this world can have to offer you. But hear me today. It's up to you what you do with that. Just because you have the Holy Ghost. And just because you've been baptized in his name. Does not obligate God to save you and, and bring you out of everything that you put yourself into. We willingly place ourselves in certain situations and then we find ourselves there and say, God, please rescue me from this. And often he does, but hear me, he's not obligated to that. That's why it is absolutely doubly important. And I'm talking to me, please let me just talk to me. (laughs) That we stay in a state of constant, constant alertness. And constant sobriety. We must overcome complacency. And we must stay out of any stage of sleep, no matter the number. So how, how can we do this? I tell you that the only way to do this is through prayer, through fasting, through the word of God, and hear me, through the work of God. We pray, we open those lines of communication, we fast, we break down the barriers of this flesh and rule over it instead of it ruling over us and then we put our hands to the work of God and work towards something worth working for. It's his purpose. It's his call upon every man, every woman, and every child under the sound of my voice, whether you're physically here or whether you can hear this by way of internet. It is apparent that Samson spent more time and energy and more resources going after the things that that would make his flesh feel good than he did the things of God. I can only find a couple of times that he even prayed to God. Now, some people admonish um, and, and, and just give accolades for that, that most of the time in the book of Judges, you don't find any prayer. That's the whole thing. That's the whole book. That's why they're in the state that they're in. God would raise up men to to deliver them and they would go right back into the same old thing. And I'm telling you that God sends men, God sends men to a desk Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday to deliver you out of the bondage that you find yourself in. And we just find ourselves right back into the same old rut, right back into the same old dangers. This point in the story, God's spirit no longer motivated his actions and he received a disconnect from the things of God and connected himself more with pleasure, seeking after pleasure. Each encounter taking him and making him even more connected and even more strongly connected to the things of the world and even less connected to the things of God. Let's look at that progression once again. He made a, 
a decision to go in unto a woman and took him by surprise, but he was able to wake himself and take himself, the gates and all, strong man, to deliver himself out of that position. <laughs> and we find him even further down with a woman named Delilah. His name means the sun, S-U-N. And her name, if you study that out, means blackness or darkness. And so he's already right there. His, her name is just enough just to make him say, I don't need to do this. But instead, he just keeps on going and he keeps on telling her, revealing every so often just a little more of his heart. The seven green wisps, the sin that tried to bind him, but he was able to break free. The new ropes that tried to bind him, that sin that tried to bind him, but he was able to break three. But then he reveals just a little more of his heart. Seven locks of his hair interweaved into that weave. And I tell you today that we can do all we want to do, but when we try to start weaving in other things to the covenant... We can't live in the world and in the church. You might look like you can, but you cannot do it. So you start weaving in all this other stuff, this worldly stuff into the covenant and say, well, you know, it's, it's just this and it's just that. It's just it's harmless. It's not eternal. It's not an eternal issue, but I, I beg to differ. Anything that comes against the, uh, the word of God is an eternal consequence. So when you start weaving in all this other stuff, trying to make some hybrid thing here, that's when the rubber meets the road. And if you want to do that, God said, okay, I'll let you do that. I'm going to remove myself from this because I'm not going to be tied to that. The next thing you see, he's in a sleep that's so deep that she afflicted him. She made fun of him. She, she poked and she prodded him. Some, some even say that she, that she harmed him. And he did not even know it. So asleep, so dead almost that someone was able to shave the hair off of his head without even know it. He is this vivid picture, I believe, of a person that is called of God but is still used in spite even if of his shortcomings and his downfalls. But hear me, that will only last for a season. But instead of this, this ebb and flow that we see in this deliverance that he receives from all of these things instead of it making him humble and thankful it seems to create some sort of arrogance in him instead of humbleness instead of drawing him closer to God Samson falls more and more in love with sin and becomes more and more distant to God and so earlier I stated that complacency leads to slumber but I believe there's one more thing to the puzzle and with the help of the Lord, I believe that there's one more piece here that we need to look at that is at least worth looking at. I believe it goes deeper than the strange wife that he asked for, flirting with sin and hanging on the fringes of his own calling. Perhaps it all began at his birth. Judges 13, 24 through 25, and the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. The child grew and the Lord blessed him. The spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael, born into promise, born into purpose. Yet the Bible says he was moved at times. Now, I understand that most of us have heard this before and I don't bring anything new to the table. But I do think that God is trying to speak in this hour. It's the at times statement that has troubled me for some time now. Just kept saying that in my mind over and over. At times, at times, between Zora and Eshtael. Between Zora and Eshtael. The book of Judges is not necessarily in chronological order because this statement 
is made before it's actually talked about being established in Judges 18. However, I believe that the statement is there for a reason. I believe that it provides some insight into what is to come. Samson seemingly did what was right in his own eyes, and God used him in spite of his shortcomings. But eventually that caught up with him, and his anointing ran out. No longer is it confusing, but it has now become frightening because he did not even realize that the Spirit had left him. Perhaps, just perhaps, because he never really truly had an understanding of it to start with and never really truly accredited the Spirit of God for helping him in the first place. At times, spiritual complacency is characterized by laziness to the work of God, self-centered behavior, indifferent to the call of God, and indifference to the spirit of God. On the other coin, it's an indifference or a flippant reality to the real and present danger that the enemy presents and where flirting with sin and worldly values can take you. That's complacency. It leads on to spiritual sleep or slumber, which is the inability to react or the wherewithal to sense or detect the Spirit of God, whether he's there or whether he has departed. I submit to you today that Samson's downfalls came very early, even in the midst of what seemed like great victory. The lion that he is noted for slaying and tearing apart and then eating the honey afterwards. I submit to you today that even though that preaches good about his might, he never should have been there in the first place. He went into a vineyard. Some proverbs say, not in the Bible, but Jewish proverbs say that a Nazarite would rather go around a vineyard rather than to go through it lest he might touch anything. And so I'm not at all saying that we should not seek forgiveness and that we should not seek God after failure or calamity. But I'm here to tell you that if we live in a mentality that God will just deliver us and save us from everything that we put ourselves into willingly, we have totally missed the mark. An indifferent attitude, a mentality that Samson had become accustomed to seeking after pleasure dulled his senses He was comfortable enough with sin because he could use his anointing to get him out of tight situations. But hear me today. It's the at times position that will lead us to trouble. At times. Only at times. If we allow the Spirit of God to move us only at times and periodically, we are an absolute trouble if the only time I allow the spirit of God to move me is at times when I'm ready I've completely missed the point you see God does not desire to give me a little but God desires to give me a lot he desires to give me everything that I need as long as I put myself in the right position to obtain it because what I get will only result from what I am willing to give. The Spirit of God is always moving. It began to move thousands of years ago and it moved upon the face of the waters and then God spoke and said, let there be, His Spirit has never stopped moving. He's always speaking, but the question is, is His moving Spirit moving me? I don't want to just be familiar with the Spirit of God. But I want to be intimate with the Spirit of God. Everything I gain, everything that I obtain in the kingdom will result from intimacy. It all depends on what I give myself to and what I'm intimate with because in return, that's what will sow back in to my life and I will reap that. Galatians 7 or 6, 7 through 8. We heard this just this past Wednesday night. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So constant provision and foresight into the flesh will only result in absolute failure. Doing what's right in our own eyes will only result in absolute desolation because ultimately what Samson used to take him there was the thing that he lost. Bible says, Judges 16 and 21, and I am hastening to a close, but the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. They put out the very thing, the very thing that he used to take him there was taken from him and eventually he wound up in the same place that used to cause him pleasure but now he is a slave. You see, sin will always require an ultimate payment. I close with this, Judges 16, 30 through 31. The Bible says that Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And he brought that house down. I'm paraphrasing, but here's what I found very interesting. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. Samson was buried in the very place that God would begin to move upon him at times. It was the place where God moved because it was between Zorah and Eshtaol. It represented inheritance. See, that area of land between Zorah and Eshtaol was originally given to the tribe of Dan for an inheritance in Joshua 19. Samson was of the tribe of Dan. However, the Bible says that it was not large enough for them. It was not good enough for them. So they began to seek out other land that was more suitable. But that proved to separate them from their rightful place, thus separating them from their God-given inheritance. Somehow this mentality has found its way into the life of that man, Samson, and now he finds himself separated from the very thing that would keep him, his covenant and his inheritance. You see, the fact remains to us today that God has already given us an earnest to our inheritance. You see, his spirit is our inheritance. And it is in this place that his spirit moves on us. But here's the caveat to all of that. If you want to go looking elsewhere for other things to fulfill your life, God will allow that. And he will allow his spirit to separate us. That's why it is so important not only to be here, physically be here in this place, but when God moves, I've got to make sure that God is moving me. You see, God is always moving, and God will move every time that we come into this house. But if I'm not willing to let him move me, then it will be of none effect. I've got to stay where his spirit is, and I've got to be where his spirit moves. I've got to stay awake in this hour. And the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is to allow his spirit to move on me every single chance I get. I want him to shake me. I want him to prod me. I want him to move me, but not just move me just to make me feel good, but move me out of the place where I am. Make me step, step, step toward him and not toward sin. Help me, Lord, to use my eyes to look to your kingdom and not to the kingdoms of this world. Shake me and mold me. You see, it's all up to me and it's all up to you what you get from the Lord. 
but I'm here to tell you your inheritance is already here. You need not look any further. The spirit of the God of heaven and earth is in this house and he will move. But if you let him move, he will move in your life and you will have want or lack of nothing else. So here today, let's stand together this afternoon, this morning, this afternoon. Let's stand together. It's all up to you. And I don't want to, I don't want to end on a negative note because I understand that most of this has been negative. To a sense. But I do feel that there is a warning of God in this final hour to wake up the saints. We cannot find ourselves in a spirit of slumber. We can't find ourselves looking toward other things to try to fulfill something that it will not be able to fulfill. His spirit is already enough. Everything I need, everything that I will ever gain that will be of any consequence will be gotten right here, right where his spirit moves. And so over the next few minutes, I know I've taken a long time this morning, but in the next few moments, however this service transitions or however this service goes, God will move. It might not always be so outward. It might not always be with a tangible eye, but God will move. He will move. The question is, will he move me and will he move you? Would you lift your hands to heaven right now and would you pray that God would move you from where you stand? If you're in any state of sleep right now, God move us and anoint us and take us, Lord, to the place that we need to be. In the name of Jesus, come on, somebody lift your voice to heaven right now and pray that God would move you, minister to us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In the name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.